0: Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Notice here, John says, beloved, before he gets into the command, he really, truly loves the people he is pastoring. And then he commands, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So John's command is we are to test the spirits. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're to know what kind of a spirit is behind the words that somebody is speaking. There are three primary spirits operating in the world today by which people are influenced. Number one, there is the spirit of the devil or demonic spirits. Number two, there is the spirit of man or a spirit of the flesh. And number three, there is the Holy Spirit. So we see that the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit operating in this world. So why not believe every spirit? Why not believe what you hear from a pastor or a self-proclaimed prophet or a guru or a teacher? Because, John says, many false prophets have gone out into the world. A false prophet is one that doesn't necessarily come at you with a horns, with horns and a pitchfork. A false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And they look like a sheep. They'll even act like a sheep. But really, in fact, they talk in a gentle manner like a sheep. And they even speak mostly truth like a sheep. But in reality, they are a false prophet. If I had a water bottle up here, a Dasani bottle or Aquafina or whatever, and I took a drop of toilet water and I put it in that water bottle and say, who would drink this? None of you would drink it because you say it was tainted. But I would say to you, well, well, come on. It's like 98% pure. And that's what a false prophet is. Somebody who speaks mostly truth, but seductively and deceptively uh, uh, folds in lies to throw us off. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus warned us. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In Matthew 4, Jesus was confronted by the devil and challenged Jesus to throw himself off the precipice of the temple building. And of course, what does the devil do? He misquotes Psalm 91 to Jesus to get him to do something, to tempt God. And of course, Jesus rebukes him with scripture and says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. We are to test everything that we hear and say. And John will give us the litmus here in, a, in the next verse, but you are not, and let me, let me say this succinctly, you are not to believe it, everything that I say, or Kirk or Fred or, or, or Kim or Buzzy, You are to test what we say by scripture. In fact, Acts 17.11 tells you, uh, well, in Acts 17.11 talks about the Bereans. When Paul came and shared the gospel with them, they listened to everything Paul had to say, but then they searched the scriptures to see what he was saying was true. Don't just believe everything blindly because it sounds good, because it makes sense. It is always to be measured by Scripture. Verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the question is, How do we test the spirits? How do we discern truth from error when we hear it? Excuse me. It's a simply profound answer. How do we do it? You know the spirit of God that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now, why is John making a point of this? There was a sect of people in John's day called the Gnostics, which is the, uh, comes from the Greek word gnosko, which means to know or to have knowledge. The Gnostics were those who saw the material world ultimately as evil and sought to disconnect from it in every single way. So there were philosophers who taught that they, these philosophers, they thought that they had the corner on the market in terms of truth. Their knowledge was called esoteric knowledge or knowledge that could only be gained from themselves. Special knowledge, if you will. And they believed it was impossible for Jesus, God, to take up human flesh because in their minds, <coughs> flesh was evil. How could God become a man in their minds? So they purported that Jesus only appeared as a man. He basically existed like a phantom. There, there was this legend floating around where whenever Jesus walked on the shores of Galilee, he didn't leave any footprints. It was just goofy stuff. And this is called docetism. So John says, here's the litmus test that you can know if someone is speaking truth or lies about Jesus. They must confess that Jesus Christ, God, has taken up flesh. That he is both God and man. He is the God-man. Now you may say, well, why is that such a big deal? It's a huge deal. If Jesus appeared to die as a phantom, as the Gnostics would say, then our sins are not forgiven. And we're still headed for eternal torment. But if Jesus, the God-man, did take up flesh, then he truly was the perfect sacrifice needed to satisfy God's justice and to bring us into fellowship with him. Even today, people will say, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He had a great moral character. He was an influencer. But if that's all he is, then he's reduced to nothing more than just a man. Uh, Great teaching is not going to save us from God's wrath. Good moral character doesn't save us. Only a sacrifice for sin will save us. And that's John's point, when Jesus is just being reduced to a man. In fact, it says in Hebrews ten five. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. It says in 2 John 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. I mean, people speak for God all the time. You ever notice that? They tell us what he's like, what he's not like. They tell us how he acts, what he does, what he doesn't do. They tell us... uh, how he behaves. I mean, all kinds of stuff we hear out there. There are even people that say, well, God said this, or thus saith the Lord. God told me. You ever heard that one? God told me that if, God told me that if you keep going through relationship after relationship or job after job, you will find the right one. God think, God told me that he thinks you have the right to have sexual freedom in your relationships after all god wants you to be happy he wants you to have pleasure he doesn't want to hold you back you know god told me it's okay to cheat on your taxes a little after all the government takes way more than what they should and after all you deserve it god will bless it thus saith the lord that it's okay to have a few extra drinks You know, you've been working hard. You've been under a lot of stress lately and the Lord made alcohol so that you could relax as much as you want. After all, Martin Luther made beer. I'm not against alcohol. You know, you're feeling pretty down lately. There's three cartons of Haagen-Dazs ice cream in the freezer. I think the Lord says you just need to just plow through those bad boys. Because you know, It'll make you feel so good. And yet John says, that is precisely the spirit of the Antichrist. That is a false prophet. The spirit of Antichrist makes everything about you and your desires and your pleasures. But the Holy Spirit makes everything about Jesus, about his desires and his pleasure. God is not made for us. We are made for him. The spirit of Antichrist will always contradict the word of God per that list I just described. There is no perfect job or relationship, but there is peace with God, with, with what God has given you. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. No, you're not free to sleep with whomever you want without consequence As it says in Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in, in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. No, it's not okay to cheat on your taxes without consequence. Jesus said in Mark 12, 17, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And on and on it goes. And this word confess here is the Greek word homologeo. I'm not a scholar, so I don't know. Which means to acknowledge or to profess oneself the worshiper of one. So this confession is not a flippant confession. It's, It's people leaning in and really trusting and confessing. And this is how you can expose the spirit of Antichrist by measuring how they view Jesus. I used to, uh, we used to have some Jehovah's Witnesses in San Diego come to our door. And, you know, we would get into the standard discussion about the 144,000 and, you know, and all of that. But, you know, I, I found that I got nowhere with them. And the Lord spoke to me and from his word and said, go straight to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Go straight to him. How do you view Christ? And of course, they reduce Christ to a created being. And we started there and actually made headway with them. With the gospel. That's how you can expose it. How do they view Christ? Verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 5. They, or the false prophets, are from the world Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to, uh, who, listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, protection number one is to test the false prophets and the spirit by which speak, people speak about Jesus by measuring their confession about who Jesus really is. Number two is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in the believer. He says you have overcome there in verse 4. You've overcome false prophets in Antichrist, John says, because you have been born of the Spirit of God. It's not that we have overcome the onslaught of the antichrists in the world through our worldly wisdom or through anything in and of ourselves, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, has overcome them in us. In fact, 1 John 5, 4 tells us that our faith is what overcomes. How are you an overcomer? By putting your faith in Jesus. Well, why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There is absolutely no reason why a born-again believer is to ever to be deceived by a false prophet or to ever be drawn into what is false, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He is truth. He doesn't just speak truth, he is truth. A born, born again believer knows truth from error based on the inner working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the believer may stray, but it's not because he or she doesn't know the truth. We do know the truth. It's interesting. I found this article on Vox.com. It says, next time you're wandering through a vast parking lot looking for your car, there's a weird strategy you can try. Hold your remote unlocking device up over your head or near your head. And it might sound crazy, but this will actually extend your device's range perhaps causing your car to light up, letting you more easily find it. Holding the device up to your head means that its, it's signal, the electromagnetic, wa- uh, electromagnetic waves of, of a particular frequency, passes through a large number of water molecules contained in your brain. And as these waves pass through, they pull all the po- positive charges present into the water, the hydrogen I- ions, in one direction, and the negative charges, the oxygen ions, in the other. And so what, in an effect, you have is you've got these protons being pulled upward, and then downward, then upward, then downward, because of the oscillating electric field there. And this was, this was done uh, in an experiment by some physicists to confirm this. That means they're behaving like a radio antenna as they go up and down. So if you hold your... <laughs> Again, I I don't know if this is going to work. I'm going to try it because our truck fob doesn't seem to be working right. If you hold it near your head, you might be able to find your car. Anyway, why do I say that? Because in the same way, the Holy Spirit is, is like our key fob. The more we're in tune with him, the more easily we can find truth. He's the homing beacon to truth and leads us into truth. And in verse 5, he says, these guys, these false prophets, they're not of the world. Because they're offspring of the world. They're born into sin. They have the same values, ideas, philosophy, wisdom that comes from the world and its system. The world is at odds with God. They avoid the wisdom of God. They steer clear of repentance and faith in Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They avoid the necessity of being born again. They're contrary to one another. They're like oil and water. First John 2.16 tells us to avoid loving the world. They have a spirituality, but it's rooted in lies. And that's why the world listens to these false prophets, because they're the same. It's like they're positive spiritual pep talks, but they avoid truth. People who are not true believers will resist sound doctrine. And it doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't fit their man-centered materialistic system of thought. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So those who are born again by the Holy Spirit listens and receives the apostles' doctrine. Now, is John being a little arrogant here? They, They will listen to us. No, I don't think so. In fact, it says, I think in first Timothy, that our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another. Now he's going to switch gears for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The evidence that a believer is born again is that they love the way God loves Now, the word love is thrown around cheaply today. It can mean many different things. I mean, I can say I love hamburgers. Or I love my brother. Or I can say I love a beautiful woman in a a grocery store. But that's on a superficial, lustful, emotional level. God's love is different. It's unconditional. It's the very extent of his nature. It's sacrificial. John is saying, if you've been born again, you will supernaturally, naturally love your brothers and sisters because God's love flows through you naturally. Love stems from a new nature and fellowship with God, which issues from knowing him. If you've experienced the love of God, it will spill over into lives around you. Think of it this way. A navigator depends on a compass to help him determine his course. But why a compass? Because it shows him his directions. And why does the compass point north? Because it is so constituted that it responds to the magnetic field of the earth that is part of the earth's makeup. The compass is responsive to the nature of the earth. So with Christian love, The nature of God is love, and a person who knows God, has been born of God, will respond to God's nature. As a compass naturally points north, the believer will naturally practice love, because love is the very nature of God. This love will not be a forced response, it will be a natural response. A believer's love for his brothers and sisters will be proof of his sonship and fellowship with God. When you experience the unconditional love of God, you begin to love others, not out of obligation, but out of a sense of his love for other people. This kind of love loves others at the expense of yourself. It doesn't act out of gaining something because the believer has already gained Christ. There's nothing more to gain. You have everything in Him. Verse 8 Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And here the opposite is true. It's impossible to truly love another human being without knowing and fellowshipping with God. Verse 9 And this is love. And now he's going to tell us why this whole thing. Why? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That word propitiation means like a satisfaction for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the way God chose to manifest his love toward us is by sending Jesus to stand in our place. There isn't a greater demonstration of love. That's it. God gave everything he had because he loves us. The single greatest evidence of God's love for you and me It's the cross of Calvary. This love that God demonstrated, He also initiated. He moved first. So, what do I do with that? All He wants you to do is just simply respond. That's all. Just respond. There was a man named William Dixon who lived in Brackenwaithe, England. He was a widower who had, he lost his only son. He was alone. And one day he saw the house of one of his neighbors was on fire. And although the aged owner was rescued, her orphan grandson was trapped in the blaze. So what Dixon did is he climbed up an iron pipe on the side of the house and he lowered the boy to safety But his hand that held on to that pipe was badly burned. Now shortly after the fire, the grandmother of the boy died and the townspeople wondered who would care for the lad. Two volunteers appeared before the town council. One was a father who had lost his son and wanted to adopt the orphan as his own. William Dixon was to speak next, but instead of saying anything, all he did was hold up his scarred hands. And immediately the vote was taken and the boy was given to him. Calvary showed us that Jesus says, just look. Just respond. This is my love for you. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Well, John says, no one's ever seen God. So if that's true, how do I, how am I supposed to know what real love is? How do I know if I'm walking with God? Because he says next, we love one. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected because he's given us his spirit. How do I know I'm walking with God if I have His Spirit? How do I know if I have His Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And when God causes me to experience His love, then His love is perfected or matured within me. The word perfected here means a, a maturing, it's a maturing process. It's part of the sanctification process. God is maturing His love in you in greater and greater ways. Not your love for Him, but His love for you. He's forming his nature in me. And the way it manifests itself is by the way I love people. And when I love people, I know that I'm walking close to the Lord. And when we have seen and testified to the father that he has sent his son to be the savior. And the love that comes through me causes me to testify that the father really indeed sent Jesus. It causes me to confess Jesus You cannot experience another kind of love and produce that same confession about Christ. In order to save money, there was a college drama class that purchased a a few scripts of a play and cut them up into separate parts. And the director gave each player an individual part in order and then started to rehearse the play. But nothing went right. And after an hour of miscues and mangled sequences, the cast, they just gave up. And at that point, the director sat all the actors on the stage and said, look, I'm going to read the entire play to you. So don't any of you say a word. So he read the entire script aloud. And when he was finished, one of the actors said, so that's what it was all about. And then they understood the entire story. And they were able to fit their parts together and have a successful rehearsal. When you read 1 John 4, and you feel like saying, you should be saying that, well, now that's what it's all about. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's about love, God's love for you. By this, verse 17 Is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment? Because God is perfecting his love in me. I have confidence that I will stand before him in judgment, knowing that he paid for my sins. That he loves me in spite of me. That his finished work on the cross, along with the love poured out on me, saves me from his wrath. Let me say this too. This is not a theological, just a theological exercise. God doesn't just love you. He has great affection toward you. He really likes you. And he proves it over and over again. And there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt by the Holy Spirit working in me and perfecting the love of Christ in me, that it takes my fear away from his judgment. He gives me the confidence to stand before him in freedom and joy. If I'm afraid of him, it's because I have forgotten God's love for me. I have forgotten the cross. I have, I have gospel amnesia, and my heart is not aligned with the truth. When your heart is not aligned with the truth, you begin to live in fear and dread of the Lord. You hide from him. What fear does is it carries with it a kind of torment that is its own punishment. If I live in fear of God's judgment, then his love has not been fully perfected or matured in me yet. So I need to learn to discern my feelings from the truth. God loves us and desires us to live in confidence in him. I don't want any of my children to walk around in eggshells around me. Now, I realize that I'm not a perfect dad either, but I want them to feel that freedom around me. So the Lord does with us. We love because he first loved us. You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve tried to cover their guilt and their shame with fig leaves. It was their attempt to absolve themselves of the guilt that they had before God, but it didn't have any effect. It didn't work. It failed. In fact, it made it worse because they started blame shifting. Every time Tar and I get into an argument, I go, it was the woman you gave me. Anyway, I was just joking. But... um, But the Lord had a better way. For we see in verse 21 of Genesis 3 that the Lord God made tunics of skin and covered their nakedness. The Lord uh, uh, slaughtered an animal. The first thing that ever died in human history shed innocent blood to cover their shame and absolve their guilt. And that was a picture of Jesus Christ. You see, some of you have come in here today And you are trying to relate to God by trying to wear fig leaves. And yet it does not remove what you are trying to be free of. Jesus provided a better way. If you want to revolutionize your walk with God, read the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the better Melchizedek. Jesus is the better tabernacle. Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better mediator. Take the fig leaves off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and walk in freedom. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. How can I love God and hate my brother? If I, har- if I harbor some sort of anger or resentment or unforgiveness towards anyone, how do I really have the Holy Spirit? I may be hurt. I may be wounded. But if I have unforgiveness, then, I tr- then God's love truly hasn't been perfected in me we decide to forgive, feelings will follow in due season. Who can choose to forgive? Only the one living in love by the Holy Spirit. The one who realizes that, although he's a sinner and a failure because God has been so good to him, he has no reasonable option but to love his brother. There was a lady in church that approached her pastor one day and asked, Pastor, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors. But I doubt that anybody could love my neighbors. I've tried to be nice to them, but it just doesn't work. Perhaps being nice to them isn't the real answer the pastor explained. You know, it's possible to be nice, pe- nice to people, but with the wrong motive. And he says, you mean like you're trying to buy them off? <laughs> and the pastor said, yeah, something like that. I think what you should do is pray and ask that God will give you a true spiritual love for your neighbors. If you love them in a Christian way, you'll not be able to do them any damage. It took some weeks, but Mrs. Barton grew in her love for her neighbors. And she also found herself growing in her own spiritual life. She said, my neighbors haven't changed a whole lot. She told her prayer group, but my attitude toward them has really changed. I used to do things for them to try to win their approval. But now I do things for Jesus' sake because he died for them. And it makes all the difference in the world. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. Galatians chapter 5 says, For freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. You are not in bondage. You are in Christ. And I'll end with this short illustration. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but as the tale goes, Abraham Lakin saw a young lady, almost a child on the slave block to be sold. And he had compassion for her. He looked upon her and she saw how Just miserable she was. and He purchased her. And then after it was over, he said, you know, you're free now. Go and live your life. And she said, so you were the one that purchased me. He said, yes. Now you can do anything you want. And she said, good. What I want is to go with you. Jesus loves you so much. He shed his blood for you. And he brought you into his fold. Walk in that freedom today. Let's pray.